God. We're going to have a chance to see uh, the patterns and the themes of the book of Colossians unfold before our eyes um, in, in a way that, that, that changes lives, you guys. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the sanctification of God's people, this theme that, God, that, that Paul has been unpacking regarding Christian maturity in the lives of believers, in Colossae first, but in our lives today as well. So before we get into that, why don't we, why don't we start by praying together? Heavenly Father, thank you for the work that you are actively doing in our lives today. God, thank you for a place that we can gather together and sing your praises, that we can have our souls awakened to the truth of the gospel, that your son Jesus has, has come, that he has lived a life worthy of, of us walking in the manner of it, and Lord, that you have made absolute promises through your son that you will make all things new. Bring the word to life in our lives now as we uh, seek to saturate ourselves in it, to, to find truth in it, God, that we apply, but that ultimately will, will, will draw us to worship you. Bless this time, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. Amen. So as I said, I'd like to take some time real quick to kind of talk about a big theme. I thought Pastor Chris did a wonderful job last week of, of um, kind of... Uh, increasing our understanding of what it looks like to, to live lives that would be mature in Christ. It is what Paul is, is happy to find has already been reported. He's praising that the gospel is going out and it is increasing and it is growing all around the world, but specifically in the church of Colossae. But today we're going to find that he's going to be praying for that process. He's going to unpack it for us even more. And so let's take a moment and talk about what it is that Paul is going to continually bring up again and again in the book of Colossians. He's talking about Christian maturity, isn't he? We pointed out in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29, that, that Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul tells us again and again and again that he desires all believers would be mature in Christ, not just saved, learning and growing and living and spreading the gospel in Christ. And so you're going to notice that as we talk about that, about Christian maturity, I'm going to use a different word today, and there's a reason for it. The word is sanctification. How many of you have heard that word before? All right. You probably have, right? It, just like justification, sanctification, glorification, these are words that we throw out there and sometimes we don't even understand what they mean. It is a word that we need to be familiar with, okay? Because we talk about justification a lot. Honestly, from the pulpit, we talk about how, what it takes to be saved, that we need to be changed by God, we need to be given faith, we need to believe in Christ as Savior. But see, sanctification is just as important and must be present in the lives of believers. So let's try to understand what that thing is. I'm going to give you a definition for it um, right now. It's right behind me. There we go. Sanctification is the ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinner, or, uh, si yeah, yeah, sinners, believers, from the disease of sin, 
to conform them to the image of his son, holy, Christ-like, and empowered to do good works. It's the ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinners from this disease of sin. So God not only declares his children righteous, but he is progressively making them more righteous. That's what he's doing in our lives every single day. He is setting us apart. He's making us holy. He is freeing us from the entanglements of sin that had a grip on our lives previously. And so sanctification doesn't just happen in a moment, but we know that it is something that is the ongoing work of God from the very first day that he called us out of our sin until the day that he calls us home. It's a theme that we're going to work through in the book of Colossians. That's a 5,000-foot view of everything we're going to talk about today. So let's zoom in. Let's read Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, and we'll go from there. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light." He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, hopefully you caught a lot in those passages. As we read through that, I hope you, you started to break it up in your mind, uh, that it was painfully obvious to you. But what we're going to do now is we're going to take a, I'm going to call it a fun-filled walk. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I saw like three smiles. No one else thinks, okay. It's going to be a fun-filled walk of five observations, not three, five, that you might have made as you listen to these verses, and specifically through the lens of sanctification. We're going to move through them pretty quick. It's specifically geared towards Colossae, but we're going to see how it applies to us here in Stanwood. This is the first observation. The sanctification of God's people is saturated in unceasing prayer. The sanctification of God's people is saturated in unceasing prayer. Man, I, I, I hope that that's an obvious point to you, Christians. I hope that that's something that, like, when you're reading through that, that's the first thing that, that, that stuck in your mind, that the whole context of everything that Paul was saying was through the lens of a prayer that he's praying about the people in Colossae. See, I'm not going to shake up the world of some of the people in this room. I'm not going to teach you some kind of hidden wisdom, but I will try to remind all of us today of an important fact that just might reignite something in this church. It might do something specifically in the hearts of individual believers in this room. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Christians, we must be a people of prayer. We have to be. The evidence of Paul's ministry, for example, is that every effort he took for the furtherance of the gospel from the day that God called him until the day he lost his life in Christ's name was to appeal and to confess to and to thank and to praise God for the work he was doing on earth and through his people through the power of prayer. 
This text is important because it's showing us that, that every role in this church, right, from your elders to your deacons to every member who claims to represent Christ in a fallen world, every role is responsible to participate in this discipline of prayer. Now let's take a closer look because we're going to find out what he's praying for specifically in verse 9. He says, I haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And let me add to that what, uh, what he says about Epaphras in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Epaphras who is one of you, this man who, who originally presented the gospel to you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he says, hi, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. Now note, both cases, right? Paul and Epaphras, and I'm sure everyone who is with Paul, have not ceased to pray specifically that the church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That they would stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. Church, they're praying for the sanctification of God's people. That's what they're doing. They're praying for the ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinners from the disease of sin and to conform them to the image of his son. And so the reason we need to start here is because we might find that we are epidemically deficient in this area, church. Seriously. Uh, this is not going to preach well. I might make some people feel uncomfortable or offended or convicted in this moment. But we probably fall into one of these categories that I'm about to unpack. Just think about it. Have an open heart with me. Some of us in here today are not praying at all. It's obviously addressed in Scripture that we're supposed to, right? Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, Jesus unpacks the Lord's Prayer. We've, we've probably all memorized it, right? It's the principles whereby we should be raising up our supplication, our adoration, our thankfulness, all of those things to the Lord. And when Jesus says that, do you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, if you pray, then pray like this. What does he say? Oh, praise the Lord. When you pray. When you pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. And so that's an easy one. We're supposed to be praying. Maybe you don't fall into that category, but maybe you fall into this category. Some of us in here might not be progressing beyond sporadic prayer. Okay? I find myself in this category sometimes. Sometimes we might not be progressing beyond centering our prayers on supplication, on asking or begging God for very specific actions in our lives, and then we kind of put that habit away. Again, I would, I would say that the command in Scripture is to pray without ceasing, but then also with the aim of expanding beyond our requests, right, which we should be listing up to God, but moving into other realms of praising God of attributing glory to God for what he's done and even entering into the will of God, which is what we are talking about today, for the purpose that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Specifically, we are supposed to be praying for the sanctification of ourselves and the people around us 
and we are supposed to be doing so unceasingly. Now, here's the third category, and maybe you find yourself in this one today. Some of us in here today might be praying exactly as Paul commands, right, but not unceasingly. We're praying that people around us would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would stand mature and fully assured. I'm thinking of all the grandparents in this room, right? All the parents in this room. Anyone who is in a relationship whatsoever and you're seeing someone who professes to be a believer and they're struggling and you lift them up to the Lord and you're saying, Lord, be with this person, fill them with your spirit, allow them to be more like you. See, the question is, are you committing these people and maybe even expanding to people in the church that you don't know, like Paul did when he's praying for these people in Colossae. Are you doing that, committing the, the younger Christians in your life, younger in the faith, not in age, are you committing them to prayer without ceasing? Are you doing this one time, Lord, be present in the life of my child to know and to follow you? Two times, Lord, change them to be more like you. Three times, Lord, teach my child to love you. Now, for some of us, that might be it. For some of us, we might see that there is no response and we'll think the response from God is the answer is no. Or we might even wonder if God is not listening. No, church, what he's talking about here is that the correct answer, according to Paul, is that regardless of what our mind thinks and what our eyes see, we go four times, five times, six times, 12 times, 50 times, 100 times, a thousand times, unceasingly, Lord, change my kids, change the hearts of my husband to be more like you, change my coworker who's claiming to belong to you but who's going crazy on Facebook right now because it's election season. Lord, thank you for my daughter being baptized and allowing me the grace of seeing that change in her life. Keep her heart pure. Help her to grow in the knowledge of who you are. Make her more like Jesus every day, unceasingly, training our minds to remember and our hearts to be disciplined without ceasing, that we would pray that the people of God would not only know Jesus, but they would grow in Jesus in their lives and in their hearts. Do we pray like this, parents? Are we committing the people around us to this, grandparents and spouses and friends and coworkers and leaders? Without ceasing, we are called to pray. And we need those prayers to include an unceasing commitment to not just raise up our requests to Lord, but to raise up the sanctification of the believers around us. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? That's good. That was the first observation, the sanctification of God's people saturated in unceasing prayer. Let's move on to the second one. We're moving, we're flying through this thing. Isn't it fun, fun-filled? Huh? Yeah, maybe. I think it is. Okay, again, I might risk offending some people in this room with what I'm about to say. The second principle, the observation I think we need to see is that knowledge is essential to sanctification, okay? Knowledge is essential to sanctification. What does Paul exactly say in verse 9? He says, I have not ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with what? 
knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is Paul referring to here, right? If we look at the entire passage, for example, we start to see the implications of what he is referring to here. He is constantly desiring a change in Christians that requires knowledge. In verse 9, he says that it is the knowledge of God's will, right? An understanding of God's saving purpose in Christ and a knowledge of God himself. In verse 10, he desires that, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. you know what that requires? It requires that we have knowledge of the Lord. It requires that we know who he is and what he's done because otherwise, how would we walk in a manner worthy of him? In verse 10, he desires that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, who he is and what he has done. In verse 11, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Whose glorious might, right? How is he mighty? What example are we to follow? Verse 12, we need to be giving thanks to the Father. Church, how will we thank God for works that we do not recognize? How will we be drawn to thank a God that we do not know, of whose words we have not bothered to study or commit to memory? And so hear me, there's a point in which God compels the heart to believe in the gospel. He gives us the gift of salvation to those who confess with their mouths and, and believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord. And so I'm not necessarily talking about our salvation or our security in Christ, but Paul is making a point that he is praying for more than just salvation in the lives of Christ followers. He's praying that their knowledge of God in Christ would grow and grow and grow. And the reason is because he knows that knowledge is essential. As we work through verses 9 and 10, we'll notice that Paul, um, he prays that the Colossians would be filled in the knowledge of God's will with the result that the Colossians would live as God wants them to. And guess what? As they live as God wants them to, the result is that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Spiritual wisdom and understanding, it, it fuels holiness, and then in turn, holiness deepens our understanding of who God is. It is cyclic. That's a fun word. It's a process. It's a process centered on the knowledge of God, and it is manifest in what, what, what Paul calls spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom is the, the God-given uh, ability to build up, acquire, and organize the principles of Scripture, okay? As we acquire, build up, and organize the principles of God's Word, we are built up in spiritual wisdom. Spiritual understanding is the application of those biblical principles to daily living. I know it, and so I live it. Does that make sense? So look, church, Paul is praying that, that God would drive the Colossians to know God, and that that knowledge acquired and organized and applied would, would be in the lives of the Colossians. But that through the application of that word, it would drive them to keep growing and growing and growing. Notice, no cap on knowledge. No ever saying in our hearts, yeah, that's good enough. I've reached that point that I can chill, right? I, I can put down my Bible, I can pick up the newspaper, I can pursue after my hobbies. I'm probably good enough to teach. I don't really need to learn anything more myself. No more Bible studies for this, guys. 
Excuse my language, church, but that is malarkey. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. That was fun. It's malarkey, it is. Listen, in comparison to an infinite God, an infinite God, the idea that we would ever be good enough, it might just be blind arrogance. That is certainly foolish. Let's never stop growing in the knowledge of God because the Bible shows us that sanctification will not happen apart from knowledge. It cannot be put on the back burner because you will not grow, you will not lead, you will not live a fruitful, productive, or faithful Christian life without knowledge. I went on a little tirade here in my notes about this pendulum swing. I'm just going to let you know. You can ask me about it later. There exists a tension in which you can have so much knowledge and no love. And on the opposite end, you can rely so heavily on the grace of God that you excuse your lack of knowledge. It exists, and it plays out in our society today. We don't have time to really get into it because we got so much more fun-filled things to go through. But you asked me about it one time. Sanctification, so far, we have learned it is saturated in unceasing prayer, and it is essentially being driven by God through Christ's followers pursuing knowledge. Here's our third uh, observation. Sanctification has an objective, okay? Sanctification has an objective. It says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, dot, 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 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, the reason so as exists there, why, why, why Paul placed it there, is because he desires to tell us that there is an objective to our sanctification. And it is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk. In... Um, in Scripture, all throughout it, to walk has a place where you might, you might see it unpacked. Even in the Old Testament, it refers to our pattern of daily conduct, doesn't it? The way that we live our lives. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 gives us a picture of that. It says, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now that principle is unpacked in a fuller way in the New Testament through Christ to show us of this way in which we walk worthy of the Lord and how that principle is littered throughout the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Paul even gives us an impression that this work ought to increase in our lives as we learn and grow and, and see it in the lives of the saints around us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, that you received from us how to, you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. Moreover, the, the, the reason that Paul gives us for this striving, constantly walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord is because we need to please God. Because in doing it, we please the Lord. Walking in a manner worthy of Christ allows us to find us in a place of fully pleasing the Lord. And Paul knows that, right? He knows that those who belong to Christ can and do please God when we work, walk in a manner worthy of him. When, when we do that, when we live out the commands of God with the right hearts and faithfully to the Lord, what we are doing is we are allowing God to look at his new creation in us. And as he did in the garden, which we have already talked about, we, as we are enabled to be as we were in the very beginning, God can look at us and declare that we are what? We are very good. And so... We've asked ourselves, are we praying? And we face the question of whether we are actively pursuing knowledge. Now, let's take a second and let's ask, do we see the evidence in our own lives and the lives of the Christians around us that, that tells us that we are living in a manner that is displaying that we walk worthy of the Lord? Do we care to please God? Have you asked yourself that question recently? Have you been so radically changed by the gospel in your heart that you care to pursue what would bring a smile to the face of God? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through uh, 2, Paul appeals to us to consider that. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the things that are good, the things that are acceptable, the things that are perfect. Christians, I don't mean to press the point, but, but are the commands of God important to you? The things that Christ spoke and emulated in his life, do they matter? Do you not only know God's word, but have you taken the time to step out and begin living it in your life, even when it challenges you to step outside of those idols that you've been clinging to for so long? Sanctification is saturated in unceasing prayer. It requires the pursuit of knowledge, and it certainly has a clear objective for us to walk in a manner worthy of God. Now we're going to flesh that out a little bit because in this fourth point, basically what Paul does is he's going to give us a step-by-step -step of what this looks like, right? He spells that out. We should be praying for it. We should be growing in our knowledge of it. We should be pursuing it. And here's what that might look like for you, Christian. The fourth point is sanctification leaves evidence. It leaves a footprint. Let's pick up in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now we're going to have to uh, pick this apart a little bit because that's what Paul does. He broke it into three sections, so we have to break it into three sections. You have five observations and three points within five observations. Isn't this fun? I told you, it was fun-filled. This is a list of evidences that Paul gives us of sanctification in our life. The first evidence is this. It's tied to Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 when Paul uh, told us that the gospel has come to you indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing. That's what he had said previously. Well now, Paul's going to peel back the curtains a little further and he's going to tell us that in Colossae and in fact in the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit, but it's doing so through what? Good works. Good works. Paul is speaking of an evidence of life change that's happening in believers who are living out the commands of God in a way that actively shows others who Jesus is. Our lives are bearing fruit in every good work. But see, notice Paul also said that the gospel is increasing throughout the world, isn't it? And it's increasing through what? The knowledge of God. There it is again. We're not getting away from it. Listen, if we want to please God, it is essential that we are bearing through, uh, fruit through our obedience to God's commands and that, the, that those actions are being informed by our knowledge of God's word. It's a big old circle. The second evidence that he gives us in verse 11, he says that we are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and with Patience. This evidence is, um, is actually really fascinating, and I think it would be encouraging for a lot of people in this room. The power of the gospel, the work of the Spirit in Christ in us is actually producing something, Christian. Over time, it's, it's producing something in us that you might not even be aware of, but people around you, they see it. It's producing endurance, and it's producing patience. Both those things are happening with joy. Stick with me. Wake up your spouse if they fell asleep because this is something you want to hear, okay? Um, endurance is what God is producing in the life of a believer to inform apparently or apparently impossible situations, okay? Endurance is what God is producing in the life of believers to inform apparently impossible situations situations, the things that are happening around us. God is producing in us the means whereby we can face those things. Now, patience is a little different. Patience is what God is producing in the life of a believer to face apparently impossible people. And every parent and every customer service employee in the room said amen. Endurance and patience. Have you ever wondered how those qualities are showing up in the lives of Christians around you? Have you ever asked yourself, what is this hidden quality that I am witnessing in the lives of these seasoned saints that, that make me just go, wow, man, that happened in their life and they're joyful? Man, this person is who they have to deal with and they're facing it with grace and with joy? 
the truth is some, some people in this room can testify to how God is producing endurance in their lives. Some people in this room can testify to how God is supernaturally carrying them through circumstances that, that they themselves did not think that they could bear. Some people in this room can testify to, to how they have been able to display unimaginable patience with the people in their lives, not based on their merit or anything that these people deserved. God is producing something in the lives of these believers. He's allowing them to function, even with joy, through circumstances and relationships that would make us pull our hair out ten times over. Christians, this is a great moment to ask ourselves, are you functioning this way in your life today? As you take a, a mental inventory of the, the circumstances that are, that are just burying you into the ground or the people that really are making your hair go gray, is there evidence of endurance and patience as a staple in your life? Sanctification includes our growing knowledge of God. It includes our um, works producing this knowledge of God. It, it includes God's grace in creating endurance and patience with joy in our lives. But then he says it produces one more thing. <clears throat> he highlights that sanctification includes our thanking the Father for his work. This is a cool one. Our thanking the Father for his work. In verse, verse 11, this is what it says being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now let me ask you, church, why is it that we are giving thanks to the Father? Is it for the common grace that he's showing us daily? You know, we're alive, we're, we're well off, we're well fed, we're clothed, we're housed. Is it because we're healthy, right? Or, or we're pursuing after that health? Is it because we have completed some class or we won the big game or we got the promotion that, that, that we've been pining for for some time? Church, it, it, it is a good habit to thank God for the, the common graces in our lives. But that is not what Paul's talking about here, is it? In verse 12, he says that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And we're coming off a season in which we've pondered many of these words, haven't we? Inheritance and saints and lights. You all know that, that Paul loves to talk about saints, people who are set apart. And you certainly know that John loves to talk about light. You're thinking right now, if he makes me read John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18 one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. But see, even so, let me remind you that there is a connection between our remembrance of the great works of God and attributing to him all of our thanksgiving and the way that we are able to grow as believers. As we head into this final observation today, uh, keep in your mind's eye that we have to be thankful for the work of God to save and to sanctify his people. We must be growing and living and enduring and praising. These are the evidences that we are being sanctified. But there is one more observation, Christian, so stick with me. Um, this is the fifth one, okay? Sanctification remembers the motivation, and it is a, a big Christ. There it is again. 
Starting in verse 12, this is what it says. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we don't take time right now to really zoom in and see what this final point of the passage is, we might miss something pretty beautiful that Paul does right here. He's using imagery intentionally or unintentionally, that that should trigger memories in our heads of those of us who are familiar with the Old Testament. Because Paul was a Pharisee, right? Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the law like the back of his own hand. So he knew the words like inheritance and delivered and kingdom. All of those words would be trigger words for the people of Israel that would evoke a reaction in their hearts. See, because they had been a people enslaved to the most powerful nation in the world, to a a God king, Pharaoh, for 400 years. They'd cried out to God and, 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 and asked for deliverance, and he had raised up a man who, through whom he delivered the people to a land that he had promised them with an inheritance. He had even established that people in the land, hadn't he? He'd given them a king and a kingdom, and he told them to serve as a light to the rest of the world as the presence of God was with man in his temple. Do you see where I'm going with this? Paul remembers the works that God has done, and yet he's thankful now for the fact that that work had had only been a foreshadow of a greater work that he was going to do in which God's people had now been delivered, but not from man, not from Pharaoh, not even from Satan, but from the domain of darkness as a whole, from the sin that had a grip on us formerly, that controlled us, that, that to the point where we were described as dead in our trespasses. We have been delivered from this sinful state and given a life in the light. And now it says that we have been transferred into a citizenship. And that citizenship doesn't belong to a country. It doesn't belong to any nation or ethnicity. It is a citizenship of the kingdom of heaven where we can grow and we can be free from the bondage that had previously enslaved us. And so all of this action on God's part, not on our own. All of this action of deliverance and transferal and redemption and the forgiveness of sin, Paul tells us it is all in whom? It's in his beloved son. It's his kingdom, church. It was by his actions that it was gifted to the people of God. And so All of our thanks, it goes to the Father because of Christ. All of our endurance and our patience that by God's grace he is building up inside us to face the circumstances of this life in his name, all of it is because of Christ. The gospel is bearing fruit in every good work. The knowledge of God is increasing in the lives of believers, whether it be here or anywhere else in the world. And all of it is because of Christ. Church, do you know Christ? Did that sentence just blow right over your head? Because you have no idea who the beloved son is. 
You have no idea how to contextualize the next passage that we're going to go through in which he is ta- called the, the firstborn of all creations. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Do you know him? Do you know who your king is and what he did so that you would be free to grow? He's the motivation for every step we take as believers. We do not follow Paul. We do not follow John or Peter or James or Jude or Moses or any other created being. We follow Christ. And so church, that's it. Sanctification is the, the, it's being saturated in unceasing prayer. It requires the pursuit of knowledge. It has a clear objective to walk in a manner worthy of God, pleasing to him. It leaves evidence in our lives and it is ultimately motivated by a very big Christ. That is what's true. This is what we should do. I have a story for you. It was a fun one. Church, my, my eight-year-old, she's not in here, so I can talk about it. Um, my eight-year-old brought up a really great point the other day as we discussed this passage as a family. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying we're, we're not super holy and we're doing this every day of the week. Don't have that perception in your mind. I'm just saying we were sitting at the dinner table. She asked me a question, and, I, and we started talking about this passage, okay? And, uh, and I said to her, you know, baby, it, it's pretty amazing, the God that we serve. He gives us the spirit, and he inspires us to know him. And, and, and as we know him, we desire to work for him. And, and as we do that, we are so thankful for him, and it makes us to want us to grow a knowledge in him, to desire to know him more, and we grow, and we grow, and we grow, and we grow. And the truth is, she looks at me and she says, that sounds like a life cycle, Daddy. Yeah, a life cycle, right? She's learning science. It's cool. Like you got those charts in science and you see that the water becomes a cloud, right? It evaporates into the clouds and then what does it do? It rains. And then it creates more bodies of water and then the event. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, guys. Don't stare at me blankly. Life cycles, right? All of that stuff's happening. God designed it through water. And what does it do? It produces life, doesn't it? It produces life. And so I, I look at my daughter and I say, what a brilliant theological insight, Felicity. <laughs> of course, she stares at me blankly after I said that, just like some of you probably are right now. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm amazed and I'm, I'm praising God that the innocence of a child could grasp a miracle so complex as the working of God in every single one of us as we pursue him. So if you're, if you're wondering what the point is of our time today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and make it simple, uh, simple for you to, to reignite this process that God is actively doing in the hearts of some and maybe to just provide some type of framework to have this conversation with the people that you love around you, okay? This is what we need to do. We need to pray. We need to know. We need to live. Super simple. We need to pray. We need to know. And we need to live. We need to pray without ceasing, as Paul did. We need to pray for the sanctification of God, that change that is happening to happen in our lives. But guys, we need to be praying for, for 
all of the people in our families. I hope that we are praying for all of the people in this church. We are praying for the people in this community, that this is expanding as a burden on our hearts, that, that when we have a prayer day at this church and we decide to gather together as God's people to pray for all of the needs and the growth of our church, that everyone would show up because this is in our DNA. This is who we are as a people. We are a people who pray. We need to pray. We need to know. <laughs> we need to know God. We need to know his will. We need to take advantage of the, the cornucopia of knowledge that is present at our fingertips in the form of his word, right? His word, that God has equipped us to understand through his spirit, that he has equipped us to understand through our leaders. We need to wrestle with the truths of God and, and be be introduced to the gift that comes from ingesting it, memorizing it, and living it. Which brings me to my last, my, my last point. We need to pray, we need to know, we need to live, church. We need to live this out. Paul said it, we need to bear fruit in the works that are being inspired by the commands of God. We need to be increasing, actively pursuing a knowledge of God. We need to be strengthened to endure and to show patience with the world around us and to encourage that behavior in the lives of the people around us. And we need to thank God to attribute to him all the glory for the works that he has done. God does not intend for us to be happy. God does not intend for us to be wealthy or content with this life or the things around us. He has not designed us to receive his grace of salvation and then call it a day. He intends for you to grow. And I hope that you see it's a joy. He intends for you to grow and to help others grow until the day that he welcomes you back into his presence for a much larger time than the time he calls you to spend here on earth. Pray no live. A big Christ made a way for us to be different. This was Paul's desire for the church in Colossae. This is God's desire for our church here today. We can do this together, so let's do that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the, the work that you have done in your son Jesus. We thank you for your word that, that provides a framework for us to know you. God, we thank you for your spirit that, that fills us with the desire to know you more. God, we thank you that your gospel is producing fruit and it is increasing the knowledge of, of who you are and what you have done in the four corners of the earth. God, we thank you for the endurance and the patience that you are building up in our hearts even now. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have done in the, the form of your son, Jesus Christ. Commit that to our memories. Help us, Lord, to be a people that seeks to pray, that seeks to know, and that seeks to live all for your glory, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.